Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host, and today on the show, we talk about sleep with two of our favorite therapists from the Memphis Family Connection Center, and that is Annie Cornell and Luz Wolf. Um, Annie does speech therapy at MFCC, while Luz does occupational therapy um, we also have Tana Ottinger with us, and uh, between the uh, between the four of us, um, we have had quite an experience with sleep issues personally. And so uh, we wanted to talk about everything from the physiological side of why sleep issues might occur. And so Luz will talk about um, the sensory systems and about uh, environments in which your children are going to bed in, all of that stuff. We also will talk about the emotional um, component when it comes to sleeping. Um, one caveat I would give, this is definitely not a prescriptive episode, so we do not give uh, the silver bullet or the five steps to how to create a sleeping and restful environment in your home, and now all your kids will sleep peacefully with no problems. Um, that doesn't exist. So what we did want to give you is um, just some categories and ways to problem solve and some things to think about um, to help uh, those um those sleep issues that might be existing, particularly in your house. So without any further ado, here they are, Luz Wolf, Annie Cornell, Tana Ottinger, and myself talking about sleep. Okay, well, today we've got a special treat. We've got um, two of our therapists from the Memphis Family Connection Center who are here live and in person with Tana and I, and that is... Um, Annie and Luz, and they're going to share. Um, well, first, we'll have them introduce themselves, and then we're just going to talk today about sleep. Um, the great thing is that when you leave this conversation, you will have all the answers you need. We'll tell you exactly how to handle sleep, and you'll never have sleep issues again. So buckle right, up. Right, right, because we have um, we have the magic button here. It's in, right. Yeah. With us today. Nine, nine, nine a month, we'll, we'll tell you how to do it. Um, so... Uh, Tana, before yeah. we introduce Annie and, and Luz more specifically, why don't you just kind of give sort of a, a, a disclaimer for our episode today? Um, I think that sleep is something that if you've been parenting more than like five minutes is, is um, either something that's going like really, really well in your home. And if that's the case, congratulations for the rest of us. It's, um, it's something that can, can cause a lot of stress and struggle in the life of a family. And so I'm excited that we're talking about it today. I'm super, super grateful to have Annie and Luz talking about it with us. Um, I think just to sort of frame the conversation, we're, we're going to talk about some concepts, some things to keep in mind, some big picture things to be curious about, some things to wonder, and some and some practical ways to support you and your family and uh, specifically your children. But I think the overarching um, frame for this is to be curious. You know your kiddo best. You know um, what's happening in the life of your family. You you have insight and intuition that um, I would love for you to take and like uh, marry into some of what we're going to talk about. I mean, I've shared this before, but Mo and I, um, have six kids, and a number of them have had incredible, um, incredibly difficult relationships with sleep and bedtime. 
And um, if I had figured out what one of them needed, wonderful. But that didn't mean that that's what the next one needed. So um, that's my big caveat is let's like be curious and talk about it as honestly and authentically as we can. And hopefully with some helpful tips. But please make sure that you're paying attention and know what your kiddo needs more than like a one good point I might have about what one of my six kids needed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll add to that. I think that for us as parents, there was a light bulb with our fourth where we thought about principles, not about practices. Does that make sense? Right. So like, That's right. There are a few things, a few categories we tried to look in rather yeah. than, man, I don't understand like this. If we did this, if we gave them a way to blanket at night, they should sleep through the night. Right. 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 No. The big question is why might they need a way to blanket? Does this kid need one? Yes right. or no? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so one half of the um, therapist <laughs> represented today was part of that process intimately with us. And our family. Yeah. So um, Luz, if you would just kind of introduce yourself and share what you do here, and then we'll let Annie introduce herself and then we'll jump into our conversation. Sure. I am Luz Wolf. I am, a, I am an occupational therapist and I work here at Memphis Family Connection Center, um, providing mostly sensory processing and integration therapy, and emotionally, emotional regulation strategies. Um, I have been uh, trained in many certification courses throughout of my practice, and I am a TBRI practitioner. And you are from South Memphis originally, right? Yes, I'm from That's- South America. <laughs> That's your accent, is that South Memphis accent, right? Yeah, but South, South, South towards South America. Yeah. I am from Colombia. Awesome. Awesome. And Annie, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll jump in. I'm Annie. I am from South Mississippi. Um, <laughs> I am a speech therapist that I have experience working um, with people from birth to geriatric, uh, but currently work with children. Uh, especially children from hard places. I'm also a single foster mom and have had the experience of being of a, a parent of a child that does not sleep. Mm-hmm. When we were thinking about this episode, I definitely, we thought about all of y'all, but we definitely pulled Annie in because I know this is like a very real mm-hmm. um present and current thing that you have shared and and even sort of we've gotten to brainstorm with you a good bit about how to support um yeah how to support you in your in your home so we're excited to have both of y'all on and Luz, why don't we start with this and this is one of my favorite conversations to have with you always is um can you help us understand what might be going on in the body that would cause sleep issues like maybe how how we are designed to fall asleep and then you know what what are some of the things that might cause sleep issues in kids one of the first things that we need to keep in mind is the natural sleep and awake cycles the child has when we have children that are coming from hard places children usually have different sleeping cycles Mm -hmm. Their sensory processing is not um, very challenging. Mm-hmm. It's very challenging. And the transition of all the body physiology for the child to be able to fall asleep and stay asleep is challenging as well. So um, that is something very important to keep in mind is your child's physiological rhythm. Mm-hmm. The very first thing that I, I take in consideration 
Then I take in consideration, how is my child's sensory processing? We have children who are very active mm-hmm. when it's time to go to bed. Um, maybe there are things in the environment that are contributing to this enhanced activity before going to bed. Yeah. And um, we need to have like an, an um, researching eye. Mm-hmm. all the time to determine what is happening, what is happening in the environment, what is happening with my child. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you will be more assertive trying to implement some strategies. Um, something that is going to be very important is to work with your child about how to settle down to sleep. Mm-hmm for the child to understand the body sensation when the child needs to relax, how Mm. to breathe with your child. We need to learn to breathe with our children and something that will be really good for you guys to try is just to observe how your child is breathing. Okay, a relaxed breathing means that our belly is sticking out as we breathe. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's pause breathing, and we need to get there. We need to get to the point where our child is breathing peacefully so the child can start settling down. Okay, uh, we need to breathe with our children, we need to show them how to breathe. Mm. Okay, we're going to start there, right? Uh, Annie, okay, so the uh. I would say kind of the emotional side of sleep and and maybe even, um, and even as you, as you nod your, as you nod your head, like for child and parent, right? Like this can, this can become kind of one of those moments of the day where you feel yourself ramping up and you know, the child is also feeling that as well. And so if, would you speak kind of to that emotional side and, um, and, and maybe give some guidelines for how we might start to think about helping regulate ourselves and our child before we're heading toward bed? That was my first thought is that honestly, even if there was a prescription or steps of like, if you do this, sleep will result. But the issue is, is that I'm a less sane person when I'm not sleeping. And so I can't even follow steps if I were given specific steps. So for me, I really had to find a way to regulate myself in order to regulate her or any child in my home because, you know, one day of no sleep is hard, but when it becomes endless nights of no sleep and months on end of no sleep, you lose all really logic and it's hard to be curious and come to that place of what is happening for her. Um, And so I had to rely a lot on other people to help give me a break so that then I could regain my composure to then move into, all right, it's the middle of the night. I'm not thrilled that I'm awake, but what can I do in this moment to help the situation be better so that it doesn't escalate to the point where I feel like a not great parent? Um, Because that's never a place I want to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I I think I appreciate what both of y'all said because – what we know to be true is both us and our kids are physical and emotional beings. And what's happening at bedtime is 
is probably both physical and emotional. Like if you've got a kiddo that is struggling to either go to sleep, to stay asleep, to sleep soundly, to get enough sleep, to not wake up early. So thinking about um, the fact that there are needs there that are both physical and emotional. Um, And there's probably some combination of them playing on each other. So like if there is a reason why, um, maybe they're, um, they have a heightened sense of stress at nighttime because they have gone through transitions or had painful experiences at night, or they've been unsafe at night or things have happened to them in the night. Like those are things they are carrying into that moment of being willing. I kind of think about it like being willing to let themselves go to sleep. For some kiddos, especially if if they've experienced adversity and trauma, like that moment of relaxing into sleep is a moment of trust. Mm. I trust now that I can be okay and safe in this house to give up every defense mechanism I have in my disposal. Like I'm awake and I can protect myself. I go to sleep. I'm out of control. That thing that happens right there is, I cannot state it, incredibly profound and powerful for many, many, many children that have come from adversity and and hardship. So first, I think it's like, let's be curious. What's going on? Is there a physical reason? Is there, do we need some support? Do we need to see a doctor? Do we need to go to our pediatrician? Is there like, is there something physical and medical? Is there something emotional? How are those two things playing together? And that's kind of where I said, like, you're every single situation and every single kid is going to be so incredibly different. And then when we talk about, like, what Annie just said about me, like, if we have a child that you know bedtime is about to be a struggle, like, you're also getting hypervigilant and worked up. And yeah. you're also sort of bracing yourself for everything that's about to happen for the next hour, which is probably not helping calm and soothe to lose this point of, yeah. like, learning how to breathe and co-regulate and, like, creating an environment where our children feel safe enough to go to rest. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's it's something um, – yeah, what's on y'all's mind when y'all hear me say that? Well, I think I hear uh, voices of frantic naysayers like, oh, it's not that. Our house is plenty mm-hmm. safe. Like we yeah. live in a safe neighborhood. We have an alarm system in our house. We have locks in our doors, all that. It's not safe. They just are, you know, ranging this scale of belligerent to their, they just yeah. can't settle down. They can't, whatever. So I think it's important for us to kind of remember that like, it is not always going to be this outward direct to their personal safety element of feeling safe or, or feeling right. Right. Felt safety is different than being like feeling safe and being safe are not the same thing. Yeah. They're incredibly different. Very, very rarely is a child going to be in a place emotionally to link those two together and use that as the reasoning. Well, I'll go to sleep. I don't feel safe. That, that's that's rarely going to come out. Um, so I can I can say like I would speak to you know one one of our kids in particular. Um, at the time, it was not uncommon for us to hear gunshots around our house a lot, and that's a I mean you might be shocked to hear that. So I'll unpack that in a different episode. Right. But uh, you know I would 
I would have the conversation with this particular child, like, Hey, here are the things, here are the reasons that I believe you're safe, but would you like to hit the button on the alarm system on my phone? Like, would you like to go ahead and hit the button to, to like see it turn from green to red to know that it's on the alarm system turned on, which means that we are then, you know, safe in the house and we're being protected, whatever. And not that that did anything. It didn't do anything physiologically. Like there wasn't some a special chemical that emitted out of my phone when that happened. But what would happen is that child would feel like, okay, I, I know for sure that uh, the alarm system's on. And I feel like, so it'll wake me up if something is amiss in the house, you know? And, um, and that was it just for about two, three months that would happen. And then that stopped being an issue. And, um, and then we moved and that's not really a conversation anymore, but there, there's going to be situations like that for all of us who are listening um, lose, I'm thinking about the parents of, of kids who have sensory challenges, either they're high sensory seekers or they're, um, sensory, and my brain's gone blank the other side, not sensory seeking, but <laughs> thank you. Um, so would you kind of speak to for, for parents who have kids who are struggling in that particular way, heading into bedtime, what might be some, just some practices they might want to think about that might help them get the input they need to be able to settle down? Yes. Um, something very, very important is if your child has an occupational therapist, uh, check with your occupational therapist because as she or he will help you out um, determine what is more productive in the routines. Mm -hmm. But definitely, I will say environment-wise, if you have a sensory-seeking child, the environment needs to be conducted towards relaxation. Okay. So what? how, how do so we think that about that? Means, that yeah. means, so let's think about when it, time there is a lot of stuff going on there is a lot of noise the tv is on the kids are doing things while parents are cooking then there comes real real quickly meal time uh bathing and then bedtime routine so things in the environment if you are um taking your child to the bathroom for a for a bath mm -hmm. think about lights think about the tv needs to be off or Music needs to be on mm -hmm. and the activity level in the family should start going down a little bit. Yeah. A lot of times we take the kids to bed and the TV is still on. The kids are going to stay awake as long mm -hmm. as they, they can hear the TV. Yeah. Okay. It's important also how we approach bathing. If we have a sensory seeker and the sensory seeker is having the time of his life during bathing time, we are actually activating their brain more. Yeah. So let's think about when we scrub our child's body during bathing, instead of going just up and down, up and down, go just downward, go relaxing. Huh. Okay. That, that tactile approach is very important to help the child's brain to calm down. Another thing is the sound of the water. A lot of kids get really hyperactivated with the sound of the water stream on the top. Yeah. So you can place a towels just just to make the trickle of the water less noisy. So think about light, think about sound, think about how you approach your child's body during bathing. Okay. Think about your uh, tone of voice. Are you talking a lot to the child? 
maybe you need to slow down so the child will slow down with you. You need to establish that dance of slowing down as you bathe your child. Um, Tana, does that bring back memories for you? And, and in particular, I guess, um, other, mm-hmm. other thoughts that you might have from your time, you know, mm-hmm. back, back in that, back in that era of parenting for you guys, but you guys are almost out of that. Yeah, era, thank goodness, right? thank goodness. But it's interesting. Cause I don't know about any of y'all that are, that might be listening. Like I felt myself calming down, yes. like listening to Luz talk about how to calm a child down through bath and if you had that sense, sense at all, like you started envisioning it and you like felt yourself relax, that's exactly what she's talking about. Like mm-hmm. how we dance, which is what she said with our child through those rituals and routines, like those rhythms are like set the tone for either amping up or sort of pulling down. So being like really conscientious and like really thoughtful about what am I contributing to the environment, like the emotional temperature or the physiological environment can really, really, really amp us up or move us towards being at, at rest. So I just feel that deeply. Like I literally like exhaled and relaxed my shoulders. Yeah. Listening to Luz talk about like, oh, a nice calm bath with light music and you know, warm water and, you know, it's just relaxing. So well, I appreciate that. I don't know if you remember saying this to me, Luz, at one point, but, um, or I think you're talking to our kids actually. And one thing that she said, so there, there's, you know, one of our kiddos in our family has some sensory processing needs. And so that, that bedtime routine can be a little chaotic because three of our kids are older, baby's a little bit younger. And so for several of our kids right after bed to, or right after dinner, music's going in the kitchen, everybody's kind of dancing and putting stuff away and getting, you know, the dishwasher emptied or whatever, or we're fighting about doing that. Um, and so for that kid to then have an environment that slows down, one of the things that Lou's share with our, with our bigger kids was, Hey, I just want you to imagine that if you took the, your phone and you have the brightness and you have the volume sensors on your phone, imagine that for, for her, what she's feeling is, is if you just ratcheted that volume up 10 steps and put the brightness up 20 steps from what you are normally perceiving in that moment. She's perceiving it in a lot more intense way. And then you say, now go to sleep. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Because I couldn't do that. Right, right. It's it's being in the middle of like a Grammys award show performance totally. on stage and saying, lay down. What are you doing? Go to bed. Right, right, right. Um, so I would, I would love to think about another, just to sort of add to that. And I'd be curious, I don't know if Annie has any thoughts about this, but um, I also think about this interesting role that like hunger or food sensations or signals, Mm -hmm. like even blood sugar, any of those kind of things could be hydration, could be playing into sort of bedtime sleep routines, rhythms. Any, you have any thoughts about that, Annie? Yes, I do. I think it feeds into the idea of the felt safety as well. Um, If a child is hungry, that doesn't feel safe. Um, So if those are physical needs that we can meet in order to maybe take that off the table. Um, But I think to just hunger food for even adults is comfort. So a lot of kids need that as the comforting and regulating um, strategy for them to help with the sleep process. 
yeah. And Annie, I mean, I think, you know, along that conversation comes again for a lot of us who begun, who start out more rigid as parents, the, <laughs> this child has never gone hungry with me. Like, why is this a thing? Like, no, we're not having food right before bedtime. That'll and insert whatever myth that we just kind of co-sign as parents without really thinking about it. You know, do you, do you find there might be comfort in having a midnight snack already kind of in place for a child or having kind of a, a stash of dry goods or something that, that might be accessible to them um, as a safety blanket? Like, have you seen that being successful in the past? Yeah, I think food should always be accessible, um, not just for kids from hard places, but just for kids in general. Also, if you think about a child that goes to bed at, you know, 7.30 at night and they don't wake up until 6.30 in the morning, um, that's a long time for their little bodies to go without any kind of nourishment. So maybe, you know, start with a glass of milk and move to something else if you need it. But yes, I think food should be accessible to kids at all times. And we can, as parents, it's hard to just say, sure, have whatever you want because we know kids snack 42,000 times a day. And it's one of those things as a parent that you're like, do you really need something else? But that's, we can have some control over what they have access to. If we're going to say you can have access to food at any time, we can choose what that is so that they aren't eating, you know, chips at 10 o'clock at night. Um, So we can have some element of control there. But I will say just as a parent, there's a lot of things that as a therapist, I used to recommend before I had parented. um, And now I'm like, oh, I I see this is not a battle I'm willing to fight today. Um, and, and I do, I like what I call previous parents and I'm sorry, I didn't understand. (laughs) Well, I appreciate the humility of that. Um, I think there's something to me, the, the access to food has always been, it's held a dual role. One is it's a physical, am I actually meeting their physical needs? Like, I don't want a blood sugar spike at three in the morning. That's going to wake a kid up. I don't want dehydration to stir them. Like, can I go ahead and say, yeah, we ate, but sure. Let's get a drink of water, go to the bathroom again, you know, so that we aren't overly hydrated and that's a problem at night, but yes, a high protein snack, a cheese stick, a roll of Turkey, another thing of yogurt, like any high protein that they're willing to eat. Um, if we can flip our mindset, here's what I think happens as parents. And I, I get this. I still have to sort of come up against this mindset and like challenge it for myself, which is it, it's not about them just manipulating you to stay up. Mm-hmm. Kids who are struggling to go to sleep are struggling to go to sleep for a reason. Like if, if they could go to sleep, they'd go to sleep. And I know this, I can just say it because I've, I'm currently Parenting six children have had many others in and out of our home. And there are some of our kids that it's bedtime and they go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And there are others that are struggling and they have needs that need to be met. And when those needs are met, then they go to sleep. So if if there's something happening with food, if they're getting up in the middle of the night and going to the kitchen and, and eating sort of without supervision and permission, like what's happening and why? And how can you creatively compromise to meet that need? Go ahead and put that bedtime snack beside their bed. I know dentists everywhere are like not happy with what I'm saying right now. And I understand that. But um, 
you know, maybe they have a little something. If you wake up and you're hungry, love, here's what you need tonight. And if that wasn't enough, let's talk about it in the morning and we can renegotiate. Like, how do you create felt safety? Yeah. And to be clear, we're not saying put three Snickers in a bag of M&Ms. No, that's my, that's maybe what they want, but a healthy, like to Annie's, to exactly Annie's point, we actually are controlling what's coming in and out of the house and like what's coming in and out. We have a level of control, but if you're rigid and not flexible and doubling down on that, then you may actually be feeding fear, which is feeding anxiety, which is feeding the body and it's dysregulating and you're at, it's counterintuitive. They might like gorge food for a week. They might wake up, they might eat everything available to them. And over time, they will not eat as much of it anymore because it's, it's their body's restful and they can relax and they know it's there. Luz, I see you shaking your head. You probably have a lot of thoughts. What's on your mind? <laughs> yeah, I think I was reflecting about how we are different every day. Every day, I'm not the same person today that I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. So we have some days that are better than others. So when you were mentioning about um, setting up very rigid rituals, we could be setting up for failure sometimes. Because yes, I I understand we need a structure. A lot of children try with structure. Mm -hmm. But if we are very rigid, we are going to miss the cues that our children are giving us every single day. That's good, Liz. This, the child I have today is not the same child I had yesterday. Mm. Yeah. So when we are very rigid in our strategies, it's yeah. when some days is a hit the other day, the next day is a miss, and then we don't know why. It's because we are not being flexible about our options. Mm. I love that. I heard you say like, we don't want to miss their cues that there's like so much compassion and like kindness wrapped up in that idea of like having some structure and rituals and routines that create felt safety and then having like kind flexibility that allows me to meet their needs in the moment. And if we aren't doing that, it's all for naught, I think, right? Right. Um, Maybe one or two more questions before we kind of wrap up here. One one thing I'm wondering, um, and Luz will ask you this, if parents are, you know, at their wits end um, and they are trying all these different strategies they can on their own, um, what, what would be a point that they should consider like, maybe we need to reach out to an occupational therapist. Maybe we need to reach, you know, talk to our pediatrician. What are, are there any kind of cues or signs that you would say would lead, should lead you to, to have that further conversation with a professional? Yes. When you're having your child with sleeping issues and your child is getting tired during the day, when you see the fatigue accumulating, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely, you need to check with a doctor because a child whose brain does not rest is a child who doesn't do well mm-hmm. in any aspect of his life. It's going mm. to be a child with a lot of behaviors in school, difficulties with learning. The child will come home fatigued from school. The child will want movement or will want withdrawal. It's affecting interaction. It's affecting the emotional connection. 
Yes, definitely. If we see a child who is not sleeping according to the age stages, yes, consult with a doctor. Mm. Sleep hygiene is a big issue in our culture here in the United States. Yeah. Mm. We are sleep deprived as a society. So we as adults, we already know how to manage this deprivation. So we are not very aware of how deprived our children are. Wow. And their brains are just developing. The CDC has a graphic, has information about what is the um, recommended sleep hours according to age stage. I suggest for you guys to go look at that and reflect about your children. How many hours sleep actually the children is having? And if the child is having a restful sleep, one thing is to fall asleep and stay asleep. Another thing is about the quality of the sleep of this child. Yeah. Yeah. If this child is moving around, kicking and elbowing the parent and just being restless, this child is not having mm. a sleep that is recuperating overnight. Yeah. Uh, Tana, you know, yeah. I can specifically remember being in um, an ETC parent training course the, or before Cultivate Connection. Um, this is years ago. And you talking about sleep issues and supporting your child with sleep and supporting your kids with our presence. And of course that, uh, and I don't know why it, it hits some dads harder, but there are some dads in the room who groaned at that moment, like, oh, okay, I'm not laying down with the 10 year old. Like, why would I need to do that? Why don't, why don't you kind of talk with us about that idea of kind of co-sleeping or supporting um, your child with your presence as they're trying to fall asleep? Yeah, I think it, it's a hard conversation and I, I'll go back to there, there's not, this isn't prescriptive because I know every family is so different and all every parent schedules are different. Parent needs are different. Children are different. And so I'm, I'm going to circle back to what I think we've all said, which is, is how willing are you? It's a question that you can sort of roll around. How willing am I to be flexible with whatever my expectations were, whatever my ideal scenario was, whatever my other kids needed, like how, how, whatever, however you've done in the past, like how flexible is that notion or mindset or preconceived agenda and how willing are you to be flexible to meet the needs of the child that's right in front of you that desperately Again, as Luz just said, there's a, they our bodies need time to recover and rest. And it breaks my heart to see families that are like doing so beautifully during the day to be present and build connections and meet needs and just are just doing lovely. And then bedtime comes, which is like the most tender and like like most precious time of connection and like the whole day falls apart. Because you're tired, they're tired. And so, like, what can you just maybe let go of? And I can say it doesn't last forever. Like, I can be a voice of, like, sound encouragement that if you have to make a different decision for a season, you are growing felt safety and resilience and connection and all of these. You're helping a body have repeated opportunities to be at rest, So it can find a new rhythm to rest. 
and it doesn't last forever. I am not still laying in bed with my young adults. Like they are able to go to rest. Do you know what I mean? So what, what can you, what are you willing to be flexible about for a season that may last a little longer than you hope? Um, and, and please think about it as a need, not mal, like not manipulation. Like if your baby is struggling, they are struggling. They need you to do something to maybe see a physician, to see a doctor, to see an OT, to consider some, some supplements and maybe medication, maybe something physiologically, maybe your presence, maybe you sit with them in the room. Like even in our cultivate connection, when we came to this, this section of our curriculum about sleep, we had our graphic designer illustrate how to support your child in sleep in all different ways. Yeah. Like, one in one little picture, there's a parent laying in the bed, like co-sleeping with a child. One, there's a parent sitting beside the bed with music on. And another one, there's a parent asleep in their room and a child asleep in their room. And our whole point is every child needs something different. And yeah. would you be willing to be flexible with your presence at night in a way that is maybe not what you expected? Lose. I love you saying cultural, because this is so different every culture, isn't it? Like how we think about sleep is so culturally different. And I just frankly think some cultures have it figured out a little bit better than we do as Americans. That's probably a different podcast um, episode that we could talk about, like parenting cultural stuff going on and how it's impacting maybe what's best for little developing brains and bodies. But maybe please, 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 please get creative palette on the ground, you know, maybe beside your bed, maybe in their room till they fall asleep. Maybe JD, you talked about like letting a kid set an alarm. Is there some kind of rhythm or ritual? I remember one of our kids, man, their brain just had the hardest time going, like shutting off. And we did like a reverse um, baby monitor in their room and they were like nine. And we just did a reverse baby monitor and that little one could just talk to me if they needed to, I had other things to do. They didn't need this particular child didn't need me to sit in the room. Other ones did. This one didn't, but they just needed to know, like, I think you just like, Hey mom, I just thought about, you know, don't forget. I need to do da 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 Like whatever was rolling through their mind. If they could just share that with me, that my presence on a reverse baby monitor co-regulated mm-hmm. them. So how can you offer your presence to, yeah. to help them feel safe enough to just let it, let it go. Yeah, and you made a very important point about being present in the moment. And being present in the moment means that me as a parent, I should keep my mind empty in that moment. Hmm. Oh, talk to me about that, Luz. Keep my mind empty. A lot of times we as adults are trying to put our children in bed thinking about, okay, when he sleeps, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and tomorrow I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. We are not really present. Mm. with the child yeah and that connection is affected the child will start asking for your attention mm-hmm. when you are the busiest trying to put the child to sleep yeah. the child is more demanding for your attention yeah so we're curious about that how present i am in that moment of my child's life when my child needs to feel secure and safe Am I really connected with my child in that moment Mm. with an empty mind? 
about everything else. Liz, I don't want to think about that. I've- I know, I know. I'm, I'm laughing, y'all. You know what's coming to my mind? I remember when our older kids, so our older kids are, you know, in their early 20s. And man, oh man, this is when like I realized, oh, I've got to think about this whole thing differently. Y'all, there were no DVRs when I was doing this stuff with my older kids. And Luz is right, because I can tell you what was in on my mind was the fact that I was missing my nine o'clock show start. And I was like having to like (laughs) take a VCR tape in and hit record, you know? So I do laugh. I'm like, younger parents, y'all don't have any idea how good you've got this moment because (laughs) you can like legitimately watch it on Hulu tomorrow. But like as a young mom, I was so frustrated many nights because I had like an agenda for what I was going to knock out after they got to bed. And goodness gracious, my mind was not empty. And um, I, I do think, you know, DVR has, has allowed me to like chill out because I'm not going to tell y'all what my, you know, what my TV show addictions are. That's not for podcast air, but um, I get to go watch them later. So well, anyway, yeah, that's, it's good. I mean, that's a good call. I really like that. I, I think that's probably a great place for us to, to yeah. end. I, I think principle wise, that idea and it always, again, we talk all, this, all the time about how these principles come back to us so often. If we are willing to give our kids our whole selves at the moments where they need us the most, it does build and develop trust. And it does allow those skills within them to begin to grow and solidify and settle out. Um, and I, I, I do think about one of ours, um, one of our kids in particular, I, I remember I don't remember if I asked you about this in the moment, but I remember talking to my wife and just saying, I just, can can there be a time where there is not a kid climbing into our bed in the middle of the night? And she just said, I know I don't like meeting our kids' needs either. Um, And she was joking, obviously. Um, But I, you know, I can say about a month later, that was over. We we just made a place. Hey, listen, if you're scared in the middle of the night and you don't want one of us to come up there, totally fine to come down here and jump in with us and we'll, you know, we'll make space. We'll make you a pallet on the ground, whatever. And just making that available open-ended, like, you know, a month later, no more getting bed at night, sleeping, sleeping fine. So um, again, that's not prescriptive, but the idea of giving the support that you need um, empty minded, so to speak, like help to create that safety of like, if I need it, I've got it. And eventually realizing they don't need it. I'm hearing you say that, J.D., makes me think of something Annie said earlier, and you might have some closing thoughts about this, Annie, but I appreciated how one of the first things you said was that you needed support in order to support your kiddo that was really struggling. And so that like caregiver and parent awareness that like, I want to be fully present here. I want to be able to support my kids' needs and I need help in order to do that. So that's on my mind too, is like, sleep fatigue is real. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you need to do and who can you ask for help? How can you create a support system? Um, How could you be intentional about like creating moments of peace and rest throughout your day? You know, where, where's a moment that you could be at rest and peace and even a quick 20 minute power nap might be what you need in order to be present for another hour tonight, you know, so some self-compassion in the middle of it all, I think is incredibly important. Do you have any thoughts about that, Annie, before we 
before we close? Yeah, you actually read my mind um, because that was my thought when you were talking about flexibility. Sometimes when you're in it, flexibility is not really even an option just because you're like, I have to do this because it has to get done. And I think that that's when those supports can come in. So it can come from other mamas, other foster mamas, your spouse, friends, grandparents, but also, you know, I got it from my friends that are OTs. I got it from my child's therapist and they're, they were able to be curious when I was not. Mm. And their curiosity then led me to that open flexibility of like, maybe I need to change what I'm doing because they are able to see things that I'm just too close and too tired to see. Uh, And so that really is what got me through um, was being able to connect with people and in a way that helped me to help her. And that was really, that's how we survived. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That's great. Um, Annie, Luce, Antana, thank you guys for joining us today and talking about this. Um, and we will link that CDC um, chart, the age stage chart in the show notes below. So if you need to find that, you can go look there. Um, yeah, I, I always, as we're about to wrap up, I always think of 10 more things I want to say, but we'll leave it there for now and then we can revisit this later. But um, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, again, hopefully some great, not prescriptive, but great uh, descriptive help on how to approach sleep issues in your house. Um, So big thanks to Annie and to Luz. um, And make sure to check out the links we put in the show notes below. Um, I will say, just as a simple reminder, we talked last week about um, our Cultivate Connection facilitator applications being open. They are still open. They will be closing very soon. So if you have not yet applied to be a Cultivate Connection facilitator and you are wanting to bring that peer-to-peer connected parenting approach to your community and support families in your community with the Cultivate Connection course, uh, please make sure that you apply or that one person you're thinking about who really should consider applying, make sure you call them, text them, uh, fax, carrier pigeon, any of that works, but let them know that the deadline is coming up uh, in March and we want to make sure we get all of our applications in in time. So uh, for uh, that, you can go to the Empowered to Connect website. You can check us out on social media. Um, <coughs> look in the show notes below for the link to apply for Cultivate Connection Facilitator Training. Um, The first round of online classes will start in May, uh, culminating with a three-day stint in Memphis in July, um, where we will talk uh, in person at the ECC World Headquarters and do the last component of the training. So not something you want to miss out if that is your goal, um, to be uh, kind of the point person or a leader of bringing connected parenting classes, the Cultivate Connection content um, to your community. Well, for everybody at Empower to Connect, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the ATC podcast.